Uh, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and as you get there, why don't you go ahead and stand and we will read it together. <clears throat> it says, do we begin again to commend ourselves, or do we need as some others epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. And we have such trust through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect, because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of which was passing away. But their minds were blinded. For until the day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. This is the word of God. Amen. 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 Go ahead and have a seat. Today's message is titled, The Lord, the Spirit of Freedom. And we're going to focus on verses 17 and 18. Verse 17 is referred to a hundred years ago by Charles Hodge as a difficult passage. Well, we just sang a song about this verse, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So how is it a difficult passage? I mean, it's an easy memory verse. You can write a song about it, and we can all sing it with great joy. What's so difficult about verses 17 and 18? Well, it's not the verse itself, and I found this to be the case as I was studying it today, reading, Lord, which passage and praying, which passage do you have for our church this Sunday? Wednesday night, we're going to go verse by verse through the whole chapter. And as I was led towards verses 17 and 18, and I began to study, I realized it's not as simple as the verse just seems. The verse itself is simple, but the surrounding verses before and after from which we must take the proper context, make it a bit more difficult, as Hodge says. One man wrote, the section of verses comes in the middle of a perplexing chapter that leaves many readers in a great fog. 
And as I studied, and it seems like the more I studied this week, the more of a fog I was in. I don't know if you've ever been there. I thought I had it. Oh, this will be an easy passage. Oh, no. The more I got into it, woo! Man, too bad it's a busy weekend. I need more time with the Lord in this text. Now, this chapter has so many nuggets, like verse 12. I don't know if you noticed it, but Paul says, Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Man, that could become a life verse, couldn't it? About being a bold missionary, a bold witness for Christ. I've got such a great hope, so I'm a bold witness of him. But all of these nuggets that we find in this chapter, to understand any of them, we have to go through at least some of the fog of confusion that surrounds this chapter. Verses 17 and 18 do not stand alone. They have a whole 13 chapters around them. They are an explanation as to why turning to the Lord secures a removal of the veil over our heart. And finally and ultimately, the veil over Israel's heart. So first today, we want to take a glance at the Old Testament background of this chapter. Then we'll take a quick overview walk of the first 16 verses of the chapter. We won't have time to explain every detail. That's saved for our Wednesday night Bible study. But we'll try to understand enough to be sure what Paul had in mind when he said, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So, Before we can understand this chapter in these verses, we have to go back to some Old Testament promises before us. So go back to Jeremiah 31.31. We've got it on the screen, but it's also helpful to go there in your Bibles so that you're starting to get familiar with these texts. Jeremiah 31.31. This is an incredible prophecy of the new covenant. Okay, The old covenant being made obsolete through the new covenant which was coming through Jesus. It says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Again, in Ezekiel, the prophet writes, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes And you will keep my judgments and do them. And so we have the old covenant from the Old Testament. That covenant was brought to Israel in a written form on tablets. I've also been hearing preachers refer to it as it it came in a written code or in a letter, as Paul says in our chapter today. But the new covenant, the one that's prophesied by Jeremiah and Ezekiel, comes not on tablets of stone and not in the form of a letter, 
but in the power of the Holy Spirit. The result from the old covenant, the Moses law, the Ten Commandments, but I got news for you, there was another 330 commandments stacked on top of that. So if you've failed in any one of the Ten Commandments, not only are you guilty, but I want to put a major guilt trip on you today and ask, how have you been doing with the other 330 commandments of the Lord, of which James says, if you break even one of them, you're guilty of breaking the whole law. I've been pretty pathetic. <laughs> okay, and I'm sure you, as Galatians says, have been brought to Christ because we found the tutor of the law showing us, see, you could never do it. You need Jesus. The law is a tutor, Galatians says, to show us we're sinners. We could never do it. So come to Jesus who did it. Now, that old Mosaic law, the old covenant, resulted for most of the Israelites in condemnation and death. Even more powerful, it resulted in damnation to them. Eternal death. Why? Because it met with rebellion in the hearts. You guys know the story. They're all there below Mount Sinai. Moses is up on top for a bit too long, they think. He's getting the, the tablets that were written with the finger of God. He's like, check out what I've got. He comes down the mountain. And what's already happening? They've already broken it. They're already fornicating. They're already worshiping idols. They've already rebelled against God. From day one, they could never do it. Even when they were told the law and they were told, woohoo, this is going to be great. Lord, we would do it. We'll never break it. Never, never, never. This is amazing. We totally want to do this for you. And then, okay, let me just. And they've already broken the law. Like, couldn't even last three weeks. Come on, people. And so, right off the bat, the law met rebellious hearts that resulted in some, I think it's 21,000 people being slaughtered there at the hill, there at Mount Sinai. The law met with rebellious hearts that brought damnation and death. Because when the command of God meets with rebellious, unrepentant hearts, there is a death sentence for those hearts. The result is destruction. But the new covenant, the one of Jeremiah and of Ezekiel and in the New Testament, results in justification and life when it comes to those rebellious hearts. Because it's a message of grace and mercy and it melts our heart of stone and it meets submissive hearts of faith. Jeremiah and Ezekiel both look forward to the day when the Holy Spirit would do an incredible work from the inside of us towards the out. When he would take a rebellious heart of stone, tink, 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 rock hard, doesn't want to know God, doesn't understand God, and can't know God or understand God. And by the Spirit of God, that is taken out. And a new heart is put in that is a flesh, and it's soft, and it's tender, and it beats, and it feels, and it knows God and wants to know God. That old covenant of trying to keep all those commandments done with a rock-solid heart could never be done and brought dead. 
But the new work is one of a changed heart, a changed life by the Spirit of God. And having that in mind, now we can look at the wider context of 2 Corinthians 3. Very quickly, verses 1 through 3, we see that the law will be written on the hearts of believers. Verse 1 says, do we begin again to commend ourselves or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly you are an epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is of the heart. Now you can see from Paul's language that he sees the fulfillment of the new covenant promise already happening in his own ministry to a pagan culture in Corinth. God has already begun writing the law on the hearts of the believers there in Corinth with whom Paul has ministered. And they are now, because of that, becoming living letters of Paul's, living letters of recommendation. Verses 4 through 6 show us the second part of our chapter. Now it comes from the letter to the Spirit. Verse 4 says, And we have such trust through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, here Paul explains why he has such an amazing hope from verse 12 that would bring, 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 bring great boldness and courageous speech. This guy actually believes that he's an instrument of God in the great fulfillment of the new covenant promises. His covenants and his confidence, rather, is not based on anything that comes from himself. Instead, he says it's all about God. It always is about God. The new covenant is about God and the Spirit of God. I'm no longer handling just a written tradition or a bunch of laws passed down from scribes or Pharisees. Rather, I'm preaching Christ in the ministry and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the result of that, Paul believes, is new life. This new life is an authentication of my ministry as a pastor in the new covenant. Now verses 1 through 6 end with a contrast between the written code or the letter and the spirit of God which gives new life. I like what John Piper wrote. When the problem of the world is that human beings are dead in trespasses and sins, the solution is not old covenant prescriptions. The solution is new covenant power to give life. Once there is life, there can be obedience. The law can be written on the heart, but while there is only spiritual death, the law can only condemn and destroy we begin to understand in our chapter that the solution to our fallen condition and our sin and all of our screw-ups and failures isn't external moral improvements, 
but it's an internal change of heart by the Spirit of God. A change of heart that comes from the gospel being worked out in our lives. From the inside out is a song that we love to sing. We sang it on Wednesday night. A thousand times I fail, your mercy remains. Come change me from the inside out, Lord. And then we come to this third part of the chapter, Old Covenant versus New Covenant. Verse 7 says, But if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. Very quickly, this refers to the Old Covenant, that giving of the law there at Mount Sinai. It was a spectacular event. There were lightnings and thunderings and smokings, but it did not create spiritual life in the people. The law that day meant death because the Spirit of God hadn't come into the hearts of men and changed the hearts of men. So verse 8 says, How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect, because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. We're going to get into all of this on Wednesday night. I encourage you to come out. We've been having great turnout on Wednesday night as people are excited to see the whole chapter and what it says. But we're going to be looking on Wednesday night at a compare and contrast between the Old Covenant and the New as these verses show us. But verse 12 tells us, and I already told you once today, it's a nugget in this chapter. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. All of what Paul has just told us is that the age of fulfillment of the new covenant has begun. That is exciting. That is glorious. That is something that should cause our heart to leap with excitement. Because God has started this age of the new covenant, and it happened began 2,000 years ago. And since then, the victory of God's purposes has been certain because he is sovereign. He's ordained for the new covenant to be preached throughout the whole world. And when people hear the new covenant, as we studied last week, they will believe and turn to the Lord and be saved from their sins and be saved into new life with Christ. This is the plan of God. And because the plan of God started 2,000 years ago, Paul had incredible hope and he was very bold and brave in speaking the gospel. Now, if that was the case 2,000 years ago, what do you think our confidence should be now in 2015? And as God is opening up doors for us to go into all the world in the dark, high up, unreached places. We should also have great boldness of speech, great confidence, because we are ministers of the new covenant empowered by the Holy Spirit. And as we go, God creates new hearts wherever his message is preached. God's the one that will cause the obedience that he requires. And then he preserves permanently everyone who he calls. The glory of his work is beyond anything the Old Testament ever knew. And since we have such hope, we are incredibly bold. 
The hope of the gospel, you guys. Paul was utterly confident that the Spirit of God would conquer and convict and justify and preserve for glory so that on that day, when we're all gathered before the throne of God, there will be representatives from every single tribe the world has ever known. And every tongue, and every people, and every nation, and every family. And because that's the promise of God, and he's already got the ball rolling, we can have hope and great confidence of speech. Verse 13, unlike Moses. So we can have great confidence and boldness of speech, but Moses, who was a minister of the Old Covenant, which was still great, by the way, Romans chapter 7 tells us, the Old Covenant wasn't anything bad. The Old Covenant, the law, was good and just and righteous. The problem was me. Romans 7 says, I'm the one that messed that all up. And my sinful nature took the good and beautiful law and used it as a launching pad for sin. The good, beautiful law says, do not covet. And all of a sudden, I'm, I want that, 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 I want that. <laughs> Nothing wrong with the law, a whole lot wrong here. Now Moses, the minister of the law, because he was working with the Lord and was in such a close relationship with the Lord, and because the, the Lord's law is a glorious law, it says in our chapter today that it's a glorious law. In that ministry, Moses had to put a veil over his face, verse 13 says, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. Now, if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, you don't really know what this story is talking about. What is Moses in some sort of a weird wedding, you know, and he's got the veil and he's like looking through those little holes. It's not what's happening here. Exodus 34, 29 tells us that when Moses came down from Mount Sinai and he had the two new tablets from the testimony in his hand, he came down from the mountain. He did not know that from his time up there, the skin of his face shone or was shining while he talked with the Lord. So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone. And they were all afraid to come near him. You guys, we've never had anything like this happen. Where someone's come out of the presence of God and it's just like, what? You know? I mean, you're remembering every paranormal activity preview that you've ever seen and you're terrified. What is going on here? Well, that's exactly the children of Israel. They were terrified. And Moses called to them and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation and talked to them. But it goes on to say later in verse 33 of Exodus 34, when Moses finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. And whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with them, with him, he would take the veil off. Before the Lord, he was veilless. Until he came out and he would come out and put the veil on and speak to the children of Israel, whatever he'd been commanded. And whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, then Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with him. And so Paul is using this story as a metaphor of the gospel and its impact on the children of Israel, even to this day in 2015. Our text today says, verse 14, Their minds were blinded, for until this day the same veil remains 
unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. So our text here, and even looking at verse 14, Paul has established his hardness of heart to Israel. Looking for a little mapes girl here, anyone? In verse 14, Paul shows us Israel's hard heart. That even to this day, and on Wednesday night, I'm going to share you some personal testimonies of my time in Israel and sharing Christ with Jews in Israel and seeing the hardness of their heart. That even to this day, this hardness remains and the veil is still over their heart. All of the Old Testament feasts, sacrifices, deliverances, champions, and heroes point to Jesus. But the Jews are all blind to this when they read the Old Testament. John chapter 5, Jesus speaks of this when he says to the Jews, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me, that you may have life. And so to this day, And this can happen even in the church, even in our church. People go to the scriptures for life, and there is life in the scriptures. It's the word of God. But if you miss and disobey what the scriptures are pointing to, there's no life at all but death. Even today, if as we go through the Bible, the Lord is speaking to your heart, Don't be like the Jews where they would harden their heart every time the word of God went to them. Man, it's such a process of every time we harden our heart, then it just gets easier to harden our heart the next time and harden our heart the next time until we've got that heart of stone. Today, if you hear the Lord's voice, Hebrews tells us, don't harden your heart as the Jews hardened theirs. 2 Corinthians says in chapter 4, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe. Man, I hope that as you come to this church and every week you hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus go forth, you hear calls to repentance from sin calls to turn to Jesus for life and hope and power and new life in Jesus Christ. And when you hear that, you don't just say, you know what, I just, next time, next time, that all sounds good, but next time, I don't want that now. And you just push and suppress the truth of God in your heart. It just makes it easier next week and next week and next week. It's not going to be easier. That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear his voice, today, November 1st, 2016, don't let a veil come over your heart because the Bible says you are perishing if that's you. We looked at that word last week. It means you're going to hell. Don't harden your heart. Let the spirit soften your heart. Humble yourself before the Lord. Turn to him and obey the gospel even today. Look at what verse 16 says. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And you know, I just pray that even today, if you've been that person who's hard in your heart and said no to God, no to God, no to God, 
Oh, that today you would hear him pleading with you to turn to him. And that today you would turn to the Lord. It's here in this passage that we see an element of man's responsibility in coming to Jesus in repentance. It's not without the sovereignty of God. It's not without the calling and the electing purposes of God. But there most certainly is also a responsibility on your part to turn as God is calling you. And if you hear him calling today, turn to the Lord and the veil will be taken away from your heart. Turn to the Lord. Those of you today who if I were to say, hey, go home and read your Bible, you'd say, oh my gosh, that's the most boring book that I could ever think of. I read it. I don't understand it. It's just a bunch of gibberish to me. It's just like, oh, talk about you just killing my afternoon. It shows that you still have that stony heart from the old covenant that can't know God. But the new covenant says you'll be given a new heart that knows God. In fact, no one has to tell you to know God because you know God. Would you turn to the Lord today so that you can know God and the veil would be taken away and God would open up your eyes to be able to understand this wonderful book that brings life and hope. Verse 17, fine. That was an introduction, in case you're wondering. This is about the time where I... Okay, now... We come to our text for the day. <clears throat> now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom or liberty. Now all of our texts so far today, we've been contrasting Old Testament, Old Covenant, law, letter, death, condemnation, New Testament, New Covenant, Spirit, life, righteousness, glory, more glory, more glory. And I believe the word spirit, I highlighted it in pink in my notes. I think it's used like eight different times in this chapter. So as we're reading about this new ministry, not of the letter, not of the law, a new ministry of the spirit that brings life and hope and righteousness and glory, the Lord is the spirit. Now, whenever we read the word the Lord in the New Testament, it is speaking of Jesus, Christ. The main idea is the Old Testament Jews, and it's applicable for us today. We would turn and understand Jesus Christ is Lord. He is Jehovah. He is the key to the Old Testament. He brings freedom. He opens up all of its mysteries. He, the Lord Jesus, removes the veil that hides truths from the Jews and hides truths from us so that we can understand the true meaning of the scriptures as found in Jesus Christ. And so when Paul says the Lord is spirit, he doesn't mean to say that the Lord is a spirit. It's true. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Or as 1 Corinthians says, uh, in verse chapter 15, the last Adam, Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. That's all truth, but that's not what it's saying here. What it's saying is that the Lord is that spirit. The Lord is that spirit that brings life and righteousness and new hope and glory and more glory and more glory, as the words say in our 
in our scriptures today. He is the spirit spoken of in verse 6. He is the one that stands opposed to the law. As he is the one who fulfills the law. John Calvin says, Christ is the life of the law. He is that spirit that brings the life. We've got to adopt this phrase, it's so important, the Lord is the Spirit. That is, now listen to me, Christ is the Holy Spirit. Now just let me finish. Christ is the Holy Spirit. They are one and the same, not one and the same person, okay? In the Trinity, there is one God, three persons, but they are the same in being. They are the same in power. They are the same in essence. And so Christ is the Holy Spirit and that he is God. He's the same substance, not the same person. Even the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of the Lord. This means that the Holy Spirit does a work in our heart, continuing the work of Jesus Christ at the cross. And all of this is experienced by grace through faith. Let me read our verse 17 from the J.B. Phillips translation. By the way, this was written to high schoolers in 1942 in England to help high schoolers come to know Jesus. It says, For the Lord to whom they could turn is the spirit of the new agreement. And wherever the spirit of the Lord is, men's souls are set free. Before Jesus came, even we were in bondage to the law. Because we knew in our conscience, Romans says, that we'd been breaking the law. That we disobeyed the God of the universe, our creator. But because Jesus has come, he delivers us. And he brings freedom, liberty. I'll never forget being a high schooler and being in Lakeview at the Safeway and standing there at the checkout stand. And there was a girl there and her name was Liberty. Liberty. We've heard of girls named Grace, right? This girl's name was Liberty. And one of the pastors of the church was standing behind me. And we had a bit of a strained relationship. He didn't like our church very much. And so I was like, hey man, how's it going? Oh yeah, okay, yeah, great. And, and he said, and I gotta say, even though we had a strained relationship, I really respected him for this because he looks at the girl's name tag and he goes, liberty. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And she goes, ha, 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 beep, <laughs> beep. And that was about the end of it. But he was bold enough to say what the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 3.17. Wherever the spirit of Jesus is, the one who fulfilled the law and brings freedom from the old ministry of condemnation, whose glory is passing away, and brings us freedom into the new covenant that is even more glorious and which brings righteousness and hope and life, there's freedom. Freedom from what? First of all, freedom from the law and all of its forms. 
mosaic and moral. We are free to fulfill the obligations of the Moses law in order to try to justify us in the presence of God and get us to heaven. We could never do it. Romans 8 says, because we were weak in the flesh, but God did it by sending his son to live that out. That anyone who would believe on him, it's just as if they were the ones that lived it out. And in that new covenant, we've lived it out. And so there's freedom from fulfilling it to be saved. We also have, secondly, freedom from sin and the power of Satan. In John chapter 8, Jesus says, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. I'm embarrassed to say that when I first started dating Lindsay, she said that verse, and I said, that's not an actual verse. (laughs) That's something that America has gotten from touched by an angel. They would always quote that, if you remember the show, The Angels Driving in the Red Cadillac. Nobody? Okay, me neither. Never saw it. (laughs) And she opens up to John 8 and says, Aha, pastor in training. (laughs) Whatever. So now every time I read it, I remember, ah, if I know the truth, the truth shall set me free. And Jesus goes on to say in verse 34 of John 8, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Anybody here ever committed a sin? That means that we didn't just do, oh, one little teeny weeny sin. Oh, it's out. It's in the past. Swept it under the rug. Winked at it. It's gone. No, you're a slave to sin. You break one thing of the law, you've broken the whole law. You sin once, you're a slave to sin. As the proverb says in wisdom, his own iniquities entrap the wicked man and he's caught in the cords of his sin. If you're apart from Jesus today, you have no freedom. You're a slave to sin and you're entrapped in them. Today, right now, you're trapped in your own cords of sin. Romans 6 says, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? So everybody in this room is a slave to something. You're either a slave of sin to death or you're a slave of obedience to righteousness in Christ Jesus. It goes on to say, God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, Yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more unlawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. There was a day in my life where I would bring my members, my body parts, my eyes, ears, mouth, toes, head and shoulder, knees and toes, you know, whatever. I would present them as members of unrighteousness leading to more sin. And now as a Christian, in the new covenant, by the power of the Spirit, every day I give my body, my part, my mind, everything before the Lord to be used for righteous purposes. For when you were slaves of sin, Romans goes on, you were free in regards to righteousness. So if you come here today and you've not been born again, you're not a Christian, you're free to not 
do righteous things. You're going to hell, but you're free in regards to them. And what fruit have you had of that in which you're ashamed, Paul says? The end of all that is death. But now you've been set free from sin, and having become slaves to God, you have your fruit to holiness, and the end is everlasting life. Do you see the two different things? You could be a slave to sin leading to death, or a slave for holiness leading to everlasting life. If Jesus is in your life, he's brought you freedom from that and freedom to that. Romans 6, as we just read it, says, we've become free so that we could now be slaves of righteousness for holiness sake. That's the new covenant. That's the new promise. The Lord God comes in and changes our heart to now we want to follow and obey God. And now we're free in regards to sin. We don't have to sin. We get to obey. But notice our text says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. This freedom is found only where the spirit of the Lord is. Well, where is the spirit of the Lord? Well, the Bible says that he is with you. And if you're not a Christian today, the Holy Spirit drove you here today. He got you in this room so you could hear his good news of mercy and salvation found in Jesus Christ. He was with you, bringing you here. But then the Bible says when we turn to the Lord, when we repent of our sin, and when the Holy Spirit comes inside of us, He's no longer with us, he's in us. And that's the new covenant we read in Jeremiah 31. The new covenant was that my spirit will now be in you. Jesus says he will dwell with you and will be in you. Ephesians says we're sealed with the spirit of promise. So wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And that's where we see this truth really applied today. If you're a Christian today, or if today you will turn your heart to Jesus and become a Christian, he will give you a new heart because he will be dwelling in you. There will be freedom. Freedom from sin, freedom from Satan. No longer do you have to sin. No longer do you have to obey your flesh, giving it everything that it wants, because your flesh isn't in charge anymore. There's a new sheriff in town. The Spirit of God dwelling in you. But then there's a third where for the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, it says that when we spend times waiting on the Lord, the Holy Spirit will come, the word there is, upon you. It's a third relationship that the Holy Spirit has with us. Jesus baptizes us with the Holy Spirit so that he comes upon us in a way that we receive power, courage, boldness to have that verse 12 courage of speech to open up our mouths to people and tell them the wonderful news of Jesus Christ, even if it means we would die for it. That's what this verse says. And wherever the Spirit is in and upon someone, there is freedom freedom, 
freedom to be bold. If you spend much time around the veteran of foreign wars community, there's a saying that they often say when they celebrate freedom. You guys know what it is? Freedom isn't free. Freedom isn't free. And they remember, of course, the battlefields on Omaha Beach and Peleliu and Okinawa and Gettysburg and going clear back to Bunker Hill, you know. They're at Lexington and Concord. The freedom that we have as a, as a nation, as a people, wasn't free. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of men have sacrificed and laid down their lives so that we can gather here today in freedom, as Aaron prayed today, over our freedom. But the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That also wasn't free. It cost God, His only Son. And Peter tells us that we were not purchased off the auction block of slavery with the currency of something corruptible like the blood of bulls and goats or silver and gold that perishes, but we were purchased with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish or spot. Freedom isn't free. Have you come to the God who shed his own blood that you can have that true liberty from condemnation and from death and have that true freedom towards righteousness and holiness and life, as Romans 6 says, unto the glory of God. Verse 18, finishing up, but we all, but we all, and I hope today you're part of that we all. You can be if you're not. Turn today right now and say, I want to be a part, Lord, of the we all. But we all, with unveiled face, we've taken off the veil. Behold, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. We are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of God. Remember that the veil is taken away when we come to Christ. Do you remember that verse? We all can come with an unveiled face and behold as in a mirror the reflection of God and the contemplations of God. Just as Moses saw the glory and spoke to him face to face as a friend with an unveiled face, so too we can behold the glory of God. Do you know in the Old Testament, one man once a year could go into the holy place and that not without cost. He had to sacrifice something. But because Jesus is our high priest, he went in one time for everybody and he offered a sacrifice which was his own blood and there at the cross, while he was hanging there, Matthew tells us that inside the temple, a giant two-foot-thick veil that separated us from the glory of God was ripped from top to bottom. Not bottom to top, as if men had done it, but from top to bottom, because God had done it. Jesus did it, ripping the veil, so that now we as Christians who follow that high priest Jesus can go into the glory of God Anytime we want, while we're driving, while we're jogging, while we're riding a stationary exercise bike, here this morning at our church, we can enter into glory. We behold his glory, and because of that, we are transformed from glory to glory. The word transformed in the Greek is metamorphosis. 
You've heard of it before, right? We think of it so often as when a, when a caterpillar goes through the metamorphosis process from the inside out and becomes a glorious butterfly. That's what Jesus does in us in the new covenant. He changes our heart. He changes our affection. And day by day by day, we are transformed. As 1 Corinthians says, it's day by day. We're transformed from glory to glory to glory. It's what theologians call sanctification. Sanctification is the process by which we're set apart from the old sinful man and into the purposes of God. And as we have the worship team come forward right now, looking and reflecting on our text, this metamorphosis comes, first of all, when we turn to Jesus. Secondly, when we behold his glory, going beyond the outer courts of the temple and going into the holy place where the glory, Shekinah glory of God is, we are transformed. Every day we're transformed more as we're beholding his glory. Psalm 34 says, they looked to him and were radiant and their faces were not ashamed. We're transformed as we turn to Jesus and behold his glory. And we are metamorphosized as we are filled with the Spirit. Having him go from beyond just a with you state where he's convicting you of sin and righteousness and judgment to where you've turned to him and allowed him to come into your heart, changing your affections and even coming upon you to be a bold witness. And when the Spirit is with us, in us, and upon us, we enter into glory. And I'm just going to list, the, here's the list of words from 2 Corinthians 3 that talk about this new covenant in the Spirit. Glorious, righteousness, glory that excels, more glory, a veil taken away, veil taken away, liberty. As we turn to Jesus and behold his glory. Let's stand together. Lord, as we have looked at the whole context of verse 17, it's great that you are spirit and that wherever you are there's liberty and as americans we could just camp out all day on that one verse about liberty freedom but lord if we don't know the context of what you've set us free from and what you've set us free for then we're only getting a partial truth we can't worship you and glorify you and just be overjoyed in the way that you'd have us be overjoyed. And so today we come to the Lord, the Spirit, who sets us free from the bondage of sin and death and the slavery to sin and the slavery that maybe even someone who's come to this place today feels like, man, I just got to try to keep those Ten Commandments. I've just got to try. And Lord, that you would show them today. They never could do it. No one ever could do it. If it could be done, then Jesus wouldn't have had to have come and been slaughtered. And Lord, that they would know today 
That you have come to bring freedom from the bondage of just trying to do good works. Hoping that by the end of your life, the good will outweigh the bad. Even today, Lord, would you reveal by your spirit the new promise that brings life and forgiveness of sins and glory. We come to you, the spirit of the New Testament, who didn't leave us as orphans, but pursued us and dwelt in us so that we no longer would have to be told, no God, but we would already know you by the Spirit of God in us. And Lord, there have got to be people who've come through those doors that are just trudging through the miry, sticky clay of works-based righteousness, trying to labor and toil just something good. If I, if I could just have a good day, a good week. Lord, they know as well as I that when that good week is over and the bad week comes, back comes the condemnation. And if that is you today, the Lord would just say, turn to me. Turn to Jesus. As you would turn to Jesus today, the veil would be lifted off your eyes. The stone cold heart would be taken out surgically by the Spirit of God. And a new heart will be put in you. Just feel the Lord would say there's a warning today for someone that's kind of, I hear you, Rory, but I, I just think there's, I think I want to do it my way. Listen, 6,000 years, this has been the plan of God. Don't try to think that you're going to trump the plan of God or come up with something better. This is divine. And you are in slavery to think that. Turn to him today and be set free where you no longer have to sin. And you get to be righteous and you get to pursue holiness for the glory of God. It's the, it'll be the biggest joy in your life. Turn to the Lord. Have the veil taken away. We're going to sing a song right now that says, Take me past the outer courts. It's a song about the Old Testament temple. I want to go beyond the, the outer courts where the pagans are, the Gentiles. I want to go beyond those guys. I, I want to go beyond the inner courts where there's the table of showbread and those things. And I want you to take me even into the most holy place where the, the Ark of the Covenant is, where the cherubim and the seraphim are, and the Shekinah glory was so powerful and strong that if, if there was anything wrong in the priest's life, he would fall over dead because of the holiness of God. We read in the book of Hebrews and in the book of Revelation that that was all a picture of heaven. And that God has torn the veil separating us from heaven so that we can now go into heaven where there's a throne with angels on both sides of it. And the one who sits on the throne 
has shed his own blood that we could be forgiven. And the glory of the Lord shines like rainbows and there's every color that you can imagine. And there's a sea of glass and we'll fall down on the sea of glass and we will worship him as the lamb that's been slain who's redeemed us from our sin. And we invite you today to sing this song with us maybe for the first time. Take me from out the outer courts, Lord, and take me past the brazen altar. Lord, I want to see your face. Take me by the crowds of people and all of the priests that sing your praise. Take me into the holy of holies, Lord. Take me in by the blood of the Lamb. We're going to sing a part from Isaiah chapter 6 where... Isaiah was in this throne room of God. He was in heaven. He saw God. He was overwhelmed and he said, Woe is me, I'm a sinner. And an angel took tongs and went to the altar and grabbed a coal from the altar and came and touched his lips and said, You're clean. Your sins are forgiven you. Today as you would turn to Jesus, your sins would be forgiven you. And as we sing this song, let's sing it with joy and faith and hope. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom.